I'm Alexander Hefner, your host on The Open Mind. You can follow us at Open Mind TV and support our series on Patreon at patreon.com. I'm delighted to welcome our guest today. She is Dr. Susan Rogers, president of Physicians for a National Health Program, recently retired from the Hospital of Cook County and continues to volunteer as an attending and internist there. Welcome, Dr. Rogers. Thank you so much. I'm glad to be here. Doctor, do you think countries with national systems were better prepared to deal with the pandemic and have the data to back it up? Well, I think that they were better prepared for a couple of reasons. One, living in a country where you know you have access to care just alleviates a lot of the nervousness and worry about whatever is happening, if it can be addressed. And the other things that many other countries have is a more robust public health infrastructure, which unfortunately in this country has been, the funding for that has been decreasing over the years so that the lack of a public health structure makes it more difficult to coordinate a response, especially for one like this with COVID that was infecting the entire country. So that you need to be able to address the the issues everywhere, not just in your localized community, especially with something that is contagious that spreads throughout. So those countries responded in a much more robust and coordinated way than we did. Do you think, though, at this juncture or at a soon juncture, they will have the data to back that up? Of course, we know about the UK variant. Uh, We also know that national systems vary from country to country. The Canadian system is not identical to the United Kingdom system. Uh, But if we don't already, when do you expect we could have the data to say, as this pandemic, we hope... Um, slows and is, is eradicated, that these countries with national systems performed better? Well, even before this pandemic, those national systems were performing better on, a, on almost every criteria that we use to uh, determine how, what our level of health is. If you look at life expectancy, we are at the bottom. Um, If you look at who is covered, who has access to care, we are at the bottom. Our maternal and infant mortality rates are at the bottom. And even as our life expectancy over the years has actually reduced, has gotten less, while these other countries haven't experienced that. So their system is clearly working better for them even prior to the pandemic, and it continues to work better. Not only was American performance drastically behind countries prior to the pandemic, it shows just how much work we have to get to a point um, where there is greater equity and fairness in healthcare coverage. But have you been privy to any pandemic specific data? Because I think that that pandemic specific data is going to be important if policymakers are going to actually consider and adopt a national system. Well, that pandemic information is important, but we have to keep in mind that there are differences among 
other countries, even with their universal health care coverage. But I think one of the things that has been really uh, made so clear in this country is the health inequities that we have here. And so I think if there's nothing else to let us see that our system here is not working, it's the inequities that have been made so bare and clear with this pandemic. Now, whether... Um, the data will show that other countries are, are doing better. I think the data is already showing that. I mean, the infection rate is uh, clearly uh, higher here. We've had more deaths in this country. So the data clearly shows that the U.S. is not a leader in its response to the COVID pandemic compared to other G7 countries. So now that we are at this moment, of not only recovering public health, but potentially building the infrastructure that your group lobbies for, what are the steps you are advising our federal government to take to seriously consider adopting a national framework that has been missing even with the creation of the Affordable Care Act and the exchanges um, the national plan that you espouse is still not here. So what steps actively would you encourage either state or federal legislators to take to move towards that? Well, I think that if you look at what the intention of the Affordable Care Act was, the, the goal was never to provide universal health coverage. That is, it was never meant to cover everyone. Even in the best of circumstances, there was going to be over 30 million people who were left uninsured. That is, they would not have access to insurance through the Affordable Care Act exchange. They wouldn't have access through their employer. They wouldn't have uh, government-funded coverage through Medicare or Medicaid. So, even with the Affordable Care Act, it was still leaving a gap of coverage and leaving many millions of people without any coverage. So what single-payer Medicare for All, which is what I support, would do is it's a way to provide coverage for everyone. I think one of the things we have to acknowledge is that the federal government is already spending more than any other country is on health care and then with the additional out-of-pocket expenses, the cost of health care premiums, deductibles, the cost of medications, we're spending almost twice as much as other countries while getting worse responses. Our data, our life expectancy, all of this data that, to designate how healthy we are is worse despite us spending more. So what I would like to see, if you look at our Medicare pro program now, People who have Medicare like it, and I'm talking about traditional Medicare, not Medicare Advantage, because Medicare Advantage is still rooted in the private health insurance company, which unfortunately creates a fragmented, profit-driven system that is heavily burdened with administrative costs that actually provide no care. All the administrative costs do is it makes it more difficult to navigate the system, it denies care, and it prevents people from getting the care that they need. So with a Medicare for All system, and actually I would 
like would prefer saying an improved Medicare for all, whereas it would cover some dental, eye, uh, long-term care, um, and complete reproductive care. That would provide coverage for everyone. And if we did it under a federal uh, program, it would cost us less because we would be eliminating all of these administrative costs, which actually do nothing but uh, pose a burden and an obstacle on people trying to get care. And we would have care for everyone and everyone would have the same benefits. It wouldn't be that this isn't covered by this plan, but it's covered in another plan. Everyone would have the, everything that is medically necessary would be covered. Trillion dollar question. How do you get there? Because, <laughs> right? I mean, we know the obstruction, and we know that there is not the political capital within either major party. There, there are elements of the Democratic Party that espouses the vision you've just articulated. It's not the majority, necessarily. So based on where we are today, how do we get there? Well, you're right. The majority of the political party does not support this, but the majority of people living in this country support it. Um, there are more bankruptcies in this country because of medical debt, and that is because of private insurance and the high costs that come with having that kind of coverage with copays, um, drug costs, and the premiums themselves. So even I think the biggest problem is the lobbyists and the way this for-profit system has just put its foot in the door and allows it to stay open. And so all of this money that goes to funding congressional um, campaigns um, all with all the lobbyists, and it's not just uh, hospitals and private insurance, it's pharma. All of these big money groups are interfering with the ability for our Congress to be able to see what is the best for their constituents. And there's no question that if you look at other countries who have universal coverage, they all appreciate and like their coverage. Half, More than half our country complains about the difficulties that they have accessing the care that they need. And the whole idea that we couple our insurance to employment when you think about it, that is a very fragile relationship. And I think the pandemic should tell us that no matter what your intentions are in having a job that lasts for 40 years, it's not up to you whether you keep so that, that fragility, Dr. Rogers, is not being leveraged to explain or, or rally public support towards the goal you're describing. We're in a DEFCON scenario where there is extreme urgency. People have died in the hundreds of thousands. There have been poor health outcomes as a result of the inequity. There has been, across the board, less accessibility. So what I'm really driving at is, if you have a captive public right now, and you propose legislation like the American Rescue Package or infrastructure, medical stimulus, and none of that contains the framework you're describing, where does it leave you? Practically speaking, if you're going to devote trillions of dollars to stimulus that is not this system, which we know would be in the trillion dollar range, then 
there seems to be a very low probability that what you're espousing is going to be adopted. Well, we're, the, the money that is being put into the system, you know, in the form of lobbying and all, is a phenomenal amount of money. But the money that it would cost to provide coverage to for everyone in this country through a Medicare for All program is markedly less than what we're already spending now. It would save us money. But the financing of our health care system now makes it more of a business um, with a goal of making money versus providing care. And I think that there's, because of the history in this country, um, that has just sort of wedded people to their employer-based insurance is has been a, a obstacle that we have to cover. But the other aspect to this too, I think that we have to acknowledge is that our country has become used to having inequities. And our country does not seem to be bothered by the inequities that occur in this country. And it's the sense that if you don't have it, it's your fault, when that is actually not the reality at all. And so that is a cultural obstacle that we have to um, overcome, because if people would realize the benefits and under fully understand the benefit of everyone having coverage. When you think about it, don't you want the child, the people who teach your children in school to have health care coverage so they don't have to come to school sick and teach your children? Don't you want people who work in restaurants to have health care coverage so the person who's in the kitchen cooking your food is healthy, that the person who's touching the silverware that sets your table is healthy? All of these frontline workers who we have become so dependent on in our ability to function, why does this country think that it's okay that they get a minimum wage with no health benefits, even though their job, we are dependent on them doing our job? And that's the problem in this country is that we accept that inequity as being okay. We accept that inequity as part of what is normal. And this inequity has been in this country since it was founded. So the whole idea that some groups go without and some groups don't has been part of what is considered normal in this country. And that's a big obstacle to get over. And even though people may benefit themselves and find that it's better for them to have a Medicare for all, there's this sense that, well, I will lose if everybody else has it too, which is actually so far from the truth. And structural racism has a big piece in this because that is what has created all a lot of this inequity that we see here. And it's not, you can tell people the numbers, you can tell people the likelihood that you are going to lose your job, but this country is almost a zero sum thing is that if I get, if somebody else gets more then I will get less, which is not really true at all. And the whole idea that being equitable is a win-win for everybody. This country doesn't seem to get either. So it's bigger than. Right. No, I, I, I hear what you're saying. The, the normalization of inequity is <laughs> the most significant obstacle to the ambitious framework that you propose as president of physicians for a national health program. I, you know, we were at a moment in the 
Congress of 2009 in which there were one or two senators who prevented there from being the adoption of a public option or a national accessible framework. And the conventional political wisdom, if you will, is that we will never, until there is the kind of public outrage and outcry that my neighbors, the restaurant workers in the kitchen that you allude to, the frontline health workers, are not having adequate care or any care. But it, it really does seem to me that we have gone so far backwards since the discussions around the Affordable Care Act and the failure to incorporate a national health program into the Affordable Care Act um, seems to be one that is going to stymie future progress. I just, I hear what you're saying and it sounds pro-social. It sounds constructive, but I just don't see the political will anywhere within this new administration or outside of this new administration to accomplish it. Well, that's where, that's where the work has to be done. I agree. There isn't the political will. And a lot of that is because of the way uh, politicians are financed as, as long as they are beholden to those who finance their campaigns, it's going to be difficult. But I think that one of the things in this country is that it has always, there's been this impression that it's individualism that makes people successful, that if you work hard, you will be successful. And I think that that's been proven wrong so many times. There are a lot of of our frontline workers, again, They work hard, but why do they continue to live in poverty? It's because there's not a direct relationship to how hard you work and to how successful you are for a lot of reasons. And so there's, and that's why there's inequities in access to health care. The fact that it is uh, tied to your job, knowing that there are net equities in who gets jobs and who doesn't, it continues to create the environment that fosters this inequity here. And until enough people can understand that they are at risk of being on the, and many of them are already on the side of having inequities in what they receive. Final question, Dr. Rogers. Um, What could be accomplished in this Congress that would be a step towards the national plan that you think could be feasibly legislated in the current climate of the vast lobbying complex that you described? Being realistic but ambitious, what could be accomplished over the next two years that would give you hope that 
the more ambitious national framework could be adopted in this decade. Well, there is a bill now sponsored by uh, Representative Jayapal in the House that is, and Dingle, Representative Dingle in the House that proposes a single-payer Medicare for all uh, bill that would cover everyone. Now, the problem with adding a public option into the mix is that the public option is still based on private health insurance, which as long as they are part of the picture, we will never be able to cut down on the cost. We will never be able to eliminate the fragmentation and the administrative burden that is placed on hospitals and providers, too, on uh, getting the care that they need for their um Patients. So I think that we are working very, very hard and diligently on trying to get sponsors for the single payer bill that is going to be proposed. And hopefully if we can get enough on our side there, then possibly we can enact that bill and have single payer. Dr. Susan Rogers, president of Physicians for a National Health Program. Thank you for joining me today. Thank you very much.